Hi, I'm Bill and that's Mike. And today we're going to introduce ourselves for our brand new podcast, Pop Culture Pausecast. Our first question for this podcast is, what are the most important things you need in a good game? What do you reckon, Mike? Well, that is a very loaded question. Um, I think when it comes to most important things in a game, it really depends on the game because I'd like to consider myself as a very story-orientated person. Like when it comes to a JRPG, that's the only reason I'd want to play a JRPG because I don't like the combat traditionally. But saying that, if you get the, take the story out of a platformer, I honestly couldn't care less. But I think like when I think of a game I like, like Donkey Kong Country... Um, as opposed to like a Mario. I think the reason why Donkey Kong speaks to me is something that JRPGs and story-oriented games do have, which is very important, which is atmosphere. I like every game to have this sort of vibe, this world that you sort of envelop. You, you don't want to feel like you're running through an obstacle course. You want to feel like you're actually, you've escaped into a different world, whether that's for different planets in Mass Effect, or when it comes to, like, just hearing this, you know, atmospheric music that's got, like, the sounds of crickets baked into it. Like, again, Donkey Kong Country. I think, I think... Games a, bit, a, bit like, a bit like you've left your living room and you've gone into a different yeah. world and you've forgotten you're in your living room playing a game. Yeah, I think that's, re I think that's really important for me personally. I th it's... It's almost like a strong gameplay is great and it's very important and games like Tony Hawk, I think, are, are key for that. But I think that is the biggest element. What about you, Bill? Me uh, will always be gameplay over everything else. If I don't feel... If the game is playing itself or if it's more suited, I felt, to a TV series or a movie, then I won't be as engaged as if the game says you're you won't be able to see all of what this game has to offer and the ending if the game if you're not good at the game and the gameplay doesn't allow you to get good. Um, so you've mentioned a few good ones there already, like Donkey Kong Country, um, Mario games are very much like that. Things that make you a, a, an interactive experience that's what really matters to me. If I wanted to watch a movie, I would turn on a movie. If I uh, wanted to read a book uh, with all the text, I'd read a book. But there's something about the world of video games, that interactive media where everything comes together, um, but it's the gameplay at the forefront of it that really matters. I mean, there's other, there's other stuff like you could argue um, there's a few games that would have solid gameplay, but they could be held down by not having cool characters that's another thing about video games that really matter to me if i'm not playing a character i think is particularly interesting you know generic army guy one or space marine two um then again that switches me off uh so characters and like you've said as well music all that world well being of things but ultimately if the gameplay isn't there if i don't feel that i'm contributing to the experience then it's it's lost and it's not a game for me anymore. Yeah, I'd say I'd say music is surprisingly high on my list of of needs. Like, uh, change the music to a Mega Man or um, you know a big RPG like a Chrono Trigger. Like, you take that music element out, and I don't know, I feel like you're missing something. I think that's why the the Mario games have almost 
never felt that way. I know everyone knows the whole uh, overall, you know, bum, 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 but I've heard it remixed so many times. I've heard that so many times it's lost all luster. So now when I play like a Mega Man X, I feel energized. Or when I play a Shovel Knight, or it just, I think music is such a key element that it's almost overlooked, especially music, nowadays. Music. Music's an interesting one because I don't think to answer the question that we've had here about the most important things, it certainly is up there. But for me, it will always be gameplay first. But yeah, music has this amazing power to put you back in a situation of where you were before. Mm. So music was when the game's done, when you've mastered the gameplay, when you've got over the characters and saw their story all the way through. The thing that stays with you is the music. You can hear a music on on someone's playlist or something, and it immediately goes, "Where's that from?" Oh, oh, that's that's that thing. And for me, hearing a Mario Brothers theme takes me right back to the moment where I first learnt learnt how to hold and play a controller. Mm. So that's why it doesn't matter to me that I hear the Mario theme over and over again because it means something to me there. But I think with yourself, you didn't play Mario like straight away, did you? So no, I didn't but you do get that stuff with donkey kong like you weren't i can't imagine that you your expectations for donkey kong country were like huge compared to some of the ones that you've done on your your channel but the music is something that people often forget about the donkey kong country series well i I, yeah i think i think the composer david wise is probably in my top five like video game composers because again with the um you know the atmospheric quality you listen to like aquatic ambience you know the the underwater music in the first game and it it almost like feels like the game is like it's almost like it's it's punching its weight you know it's like it it's like the music is like this beautiful serene um you know atmospheric masterpiece you know or equate it to a you know really attractive woman and donkey kong is is a monkey you know it's like it's like say like the music is pauline and donkey kong is donkey kong it's kind of like you know what i mean it's like it's punching its weight like the music is just outstanding i don't understand how it sort of it's you're you're right though bananas i don't uh, why is it so good (laughs) (laughs) i think it's because like you say it's that marriage of of cool cool quirky characters that are memorable mixed in with fantastic gameplay Mm. and that music is the is the cherry on top but i think also music is a lost art these days where people are more into realism and they want ambience and they want uh you know music sometimes takes away from the experience they feel but they put music in movies for a reason is to build atmosphere and stuff and we've We've lost a lot of those old games that people re- always talk about and replay on their playlist, your Mega Man, your Donkey Kongs, your Marios, your Sonics. All of those come from an era where they had they didn't have much to work with and they used what they could within the world that they had. Um, but yeah, ultimately, if, if, if the game doesn't play well, all you can have the best music in the world, but that will still fall apart. Mm. I, you'd, you'd go. That's cool music, but I hate the game. No, I don't mean. I I've but tried yeah. like a. I've tried. I've played through like your Detroit Become Humans and your Telltale games, and I think it. Like now, I've kind of become numb to like QTEs and stuff. Like if I have to, it's almost like I'd rather be playing the game myself. It's like um, not to get not to go too deep into like spoiler spoiling and stuff but like there's a moment in the third metal gear solid where you have to kill a certain character and and it's in a cutscene, 
but you have to like physically press the the button on the controller that's associated with the fire button and there's no prompt on screen it literally like lingers on you and you know yeah. as, as the player so it's almost like you the player is carrying out that action and yeah. i think that that like a story in a game is is important to me but if you can really marriage those two top those two things together seamlessly then i think that just elevates a game onto a new level personally yeah i think i think you, if you can once you've got for me gameplay is locked in you've got a cool character i want to play as that means something it's not someone i'm going to get fed up with listening the voiceovers to or you just look so stupid that i was like why would i ever want to play as this character ever or whatever uh, and the music has landed, then when you start bringing in and marrying in things like story and the interactiveness of it and all the mechanics and the, the HUD and the, the presentation, all of that is a married into this incredible mixture, then you've yeah. got, you got a winner. But ultimately, you can have all of that. And there's a few games on the list that we'll sure we'll talk about in this po very podcast at some time in the future. But if the gameplay isn't there, then you, you can have... an massive orchestra of all those other things but i will just go it's not for me yeah no i agree i think that's that's what for me at least that's what elevates a um a great a fantastic rpg to like one that i just kind of like like everyone i think people say that genre in particular is one to play for the story but if the game if the game plays just like rat 50 random encounters in one dungeon and it's just you're getting the the gameplay is just repetitive. I think that does bring it down ultimately. So, so what? Let's 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 shoot, shall we? Let's let's get to the point because I think that's what we need to be in this podcast. Let's let's chuck out some examples. So, I'll I'll start if you don't mind, my good friend Mike. That's fine. Um, I do feel that if it, sometimes games go on for too long hmm. because they've run out of gameplay mechanics, and you you knock on to a, a good one there. It's it normally does come up for me in RPGs. RPGs, I think, if done well, uh, they are incredible experiences that will stay with you forever. But every so often, there'll be a part in an RPG where it tends to be more of a, a question of pride that they do. That they, It's not so much like, I'd rather have a tight 20-hour RPG. Mm. They look at it and go, we can't sell a 20-hour RPG. It needs to be 50 hours. It needs to be 100. It needs to be 150 hours. It's not proper RPG otherwise. Yeah. So then they'll... In, they'll they'll sacrifice elements of their game, mainly things like gameplay, where their battle system crumples under the weight of rep repetition, because they need you to level up to level seventy to do the last boss. Um, and they'll 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 chuck in pointless fight after fight after fight to grind to just get past the next section, because they want you to have that long clock on on it. My argument for that is chuck in a new gameplay mechanic make something in the gameplay that will make it worthwhile grinding then you've got a game but don't just do it because i don't know you just need a number on a clock yeah i think like a good example for me i know this is a i, I assume it's a game you've played but um there are full chunks of final fantasy 7 remake that you could just rip out and i don't think that anything would have been missed these aren't sections from the original that people love these are like controlling a crane to help Aerith move around or like you know there's one like one single picture 
you know, one single screen in the original that becomes like a whole a whole dungeon that takes it like a, a whole hour. And that just makes you think if they were going to pad it out, even, like it's a 30 hour game. But you think I'd much rather them strip that out and have the game end, say, like at calm. So say you have a, a final fight against uh, Sephiroth in the calm flashback. That would be how I'd end it. And that would have been the perfect end for me. But they just so many. And it's not just. It's almost a lot of the problems as well. I, know, I think the original Final Fantasy VII suffers from this a little bit. It's it's variety for the sake of it. I think yes. if you're going to have variety. It needs to be built on that core gameplay foundation. So you've got your, port, your, your core foundation of gameplay. And you build off of it. Because you spend you spend two years working on one gameplay system, that's going to be the best gameplay system in the entire game. So then, if you're whilst you're working on this, if you spend a month working on this little mini game, that's not going to be very interesting compared to the fully fleshed out, you know, core of a gameplay. So I think what, why have a game with fifty different mini games in it that does fifty mini games poorly? when you could just play 50 separate games that all do those gameplays much, much better. Because I've, I've uh, only ever... There's only, there's only one game I've ever played that's been a different different beat, a different game every minute that I've actually thought was fantastic, which was It Takes Two. I still haven't played that yet. That is definitely the that. exception. Definitely. Yeah, I need to play that. But the, you see, the, then there's... Uh, so I, I, I agree with you with Final Fantasy. Um, it was a bit later for me for the remake of Final Fantasy VII mm. when you go into the uh, the lab laboratories. Oh, that went on for ever. Far too long. But you see, I didn't have a problem with the battle system in that. That The battle system in Final Fantasy VII Remake, I thought, was de in-depth enough to carry the majority of the game. What the problem was for me is navigating the level structure. Oh yeah, if, it was too. If it wasn't like if, if they had more gameplay in the way you navigated the maps, then it would have been more interesting. Rather than walk up to button, press button, see red thirteen, run across a wall and activate a bridge so you can carry on walking. That is where the gameplay suffered, and the the, the laborious kind of repetitive nature comes in. I get that, and we will disagree on this one. I get that a lot with Metal Gear Solid games as well, right? Where the gameplay is sacrificed in places for a long cutscene to build emotion. Um, the biggest one and the easiest one for me to lay up, Mike, is where you have um, Otacon's sister, and you're you're escorting her underwater, and she's it 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 makes you feel vulnerable. I get that. Mm. I understand that. But it doesn't make the gameplay fun when she needs to keep coming up for air and she, you need to pick her up and carry her because she's too scared. And she's, you know, it, it strips back all the espionage parts about what that should be like and instead gives you this kind of wart on your back just for no other reason but story. And that's the kind of stuff I think you shouldn't do. And Grand Theft Auto, which is another one, I think we just lost heart all of our audience with the three games I've just mentioned. But... <laughs> Grand Theft Auto is another one for me where I get I I completely understand why people love that game because it's if you're going to buy one game in your life that's got so much stuff in it why wouldn't you want to spend 50 60 pounds and get so much in one game Yeah of course but at the same time it's not a great racing game it's not no. a great shooting game it's not a good golf game it's not a good gambling game it's not a good of any of these things 
it's just the all the variety in one. Yeah. I would rather have separate games that do them all really, really well than one game that has them all in together and it's all a bit janky. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd probably disagree on with Grand Theft Auto more because, like, just it's it's its own little experience. But I think with, with Metal Gear Solid, I'm not going to disagree with you. I think it's a case of if you've got, like, X amount of dialogue that you want to sort of have come across that's fine but then you have to also like you said sort of have the gameplay to like i think like there's a part in metal gear solid one where you have these card keys that you have to have at different temperatures and stuff and because there's a certain there's a certain amount of dialogue that needs to be let out so basically you're running back and forth so that they can use you know say these important admittedly important story stuff but at that point if you've I'd rather have another, even if they weren't like outstanding, but another like three or four rooms of like stealth gameplay instead of having to run back and forth in rooms that I'd already been in. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Metal, for our first verses, Metal Gear versus Resident Evil, right? Right. So in Metal Gear, that's a great, and this I, I understand we haven't got time to go into depth on this, but Metal Gear, when you've got those card keys and you're running around, and really all you do is you just get the card key and you sprint to one location, change the temperature, and then go on to another one. Yeah. There's a small section in Resident Evil 1 Remake, which is very small, mm. and they could have done it for longer, but they understood it could have annoyed people, where likewise you pick up, I think it's some sort of bomb, where if you run it detonates and you die instantly. Yeah. No, I remember. And it, you're filled with... Uh, you filled, It's filled with these new monsters that can kill you in one hit and they come down from the ceiling and they're all over the place. Yeah. You immediately pick this thing up and you think, I can't run. I've gone the entire game and now I have to walk several screens to get to this... to drop this key off. Yeah. And I can't run away from the monsters. That is a gameplay mechanic where it tests your resources... It tests how well you know the game now, and it tests your nerve of how you get past this next part. Whereas I feel the key card part in Metal Gear was more of a kind of a story mechanic where you pick up the key, you run, you get, and then you get, you're rewarded with a giant cutscene to explain, oh, you've managed to do this thing. Yeah. It didn't really change anything. That's the kind of gamer I am. I'd rather there be a story place gameplay mechanic mm. that has a great effect on it. And I understand the one in Resident Evil is not particularly long. But it, it's memorable to me because it makes me think. Oh, it, it's it has that tension of like, like there's a point to it. Something's walking slowly towards you, and you're just inching forward, just trying not. Because I, I've I've played through that. I I got the platinum trophy for that game, which means you know that bit, right? Invisible enemies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but there's a point to it, isn't it? No you, save you, run as well. I had to yeah. do no save run. That <laughs> was like. Yeah. Ew, nerve shot. <laughs> but that's that's my thing. It had that effect mean, yeah. on it. Whereas I think if you in the in Metal Gear, and it might not be a fair comparison, I expect, like, you know, completely understand that. Yeah. But in Metal Gear, if you fail at that mission, yeah, uh, the only thing you could do is start all over again. So it's not really fun. It's just a exercise in monotony. Well, I think, like, yeah, like for example, how I if I was say I was a game developer, right, back in uh, nineteen ninety eight when I was depending on when the game came out, I was either a fetus or I was just born. Um, <laughs> but, um, 
I would have done like maybe if you're going to do this card key mechanic, maybe it's a case of stealing them off the guards or maybe, you know, like pickpocketing them or like just. Yeah. It, it, but yeah, I, 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 I completely agree. As, as much as a, Metal Gear Solid is one of my favorite franchises, but there's so many things you can criticize or I'm just like, yep, yep, 100 percent. Yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, I agree. And, and it's not it's not just that. There's loads of other games that does something similar. It's just what came up today. I I, yeah. I enjoy. I really enjoy the first Metal Gear. Mm. It's just like I feel with a lot of, say, for example, Halo and Gears of War. I also agree with yeah. that the game. The gameplay started with the first game, and I think a lot of people afterwards, people start. They go, oh, we can make a franchise out of this. Yeah. And the only thing they really built on. No, this is so difficult to word, but the only thing they really build on in the sequels to those games is more story at the forefront. They don't all really, especially Gears of War, mm. Gears of War doesn't really change gameplay-wise at all throughout its first trilogy. Yeah. And I think Halo, for the most part, is a slightly different situation. That's also true. It's more, we've made a sequel now, we need to tell a new story gameplay is kind of locked in let's not worry about that but when you're playing things certain other franchises like uh, again your donkey kong's uh, your, your sonic's shantae i think is a good one of that another good one like that gameplay kind of switches it up every time you go for a different game yeah i think i think i'd i'd somewhat disagree with metal gear solid in that sense just because like for example the third game you're in a jungle and it's got survival mechanics like you've got a scavenge um animals and stuff to survive and 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 the whole thing's changed oh yeah sorry i didn't mean like metal gear i was no, more like I, I understand what you mean i think yeah i mean this is this is getting into a tiny new conversation but i think we, as, are. we knew it would happen as a we certain, knew it would happen <laughs> as a certain franchise not franchise fatigue it's like the third game problem right crash bandicoot has it um donkey kong country has it um i could think of plenty of other examples but it's a problem where you have the first game first game comes out first game is good but it has a lot of flaws okay so what do you do second game comes along improve on everything here's your checklist this is what went wrong improve 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 game's basically perfect you've improved it as much as you can so then the third game comes around you can't improve the game anymore so what do you do you add stuff into it. You put in vehicle segments. You put in um, like all these other mechanics. You put in this. You put in that. You add more collectibles. You add more this. You add more that. And then you've got a game that's yes has got more to do than the second one, but is not as quite as refined. Because when when you've made the perfect game, where do you go from there? That's kind of the big question. I think I think that's probably more to the facts these days because people jump on franchises a lot quicker. But back in the nineties, especially the third game was always a big deal mm. because you've got Mario free, Sonic free. Yeah. Um, I would I would say Street Fighter free is in there, even though people didn't know it back then. Yeah. How how big of a change in the game that one was. Uh, people would I, although I. <laughs> Zelda 3 is another example where they had the first Zelda they went off the rails of Adventure of Link and then came back on a lot of people consider Zelda 3 to be the best in the series I don't necessarily echo that but what I mean is I think it depends on 
whether you were given the budget you wanted to make the game straight away, like your Halo 2s, your Gears of War 2s and stuff like that, um, or you had to wait a bit longer and work a bit harder to work out in a more confined space. Yeah, I th- I think we're I think we're talking about different eras of gaming because I think when you when you, yeah. you bring up Mario and Zelda, then yeah, they have the make your first game, make your second game. It's completely different. Okay, we probably shouldn't have done that. Let's make the third game like the, <laughs> the better version of the first. Let's do what people technically, if you think about it that way, then maybe a lot of the threes are the twos because if you especially with Mario, yeah, with um, Mario Two in Japan, obviously it was just more of a, a harder version of the first game, and yeah. obviously over here it was a different game. Technically, Mario Three is more of a Mario Two than any of the others they made. So I, I get what you mean. Yeah, I, I was thinking more like like Crash Bandicoot Warped, for example. It's like Crash. It's it's Crash Two exactly the same, except it's got vehicle segment. They've added vehicle segments where you're in a plane or where you're in, you know, where they they've just sort of added more, and that more. Like back to what I said earlier, isn't as refined, therefore it's not as fun. Like that's why I love like the Crash trilogy, but if I replay one, it's always the second one because that's the one that's got the refined gameplay and it doesn't have any other gameplay styles that take away from that. Yeah, there's a lot of examples like that. Like um I think people would say the Tomb Raider series follows what you're saying there. Um Batman, Batman Arkham games, everyone talks about to, yeah, you know, they talk about the others. Of them, yeah. yeah, so I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Because, yeah, the bat, I think the Batmobile was uh, definitely what kind of brought that game down a little bit in terms of our. Yeah, because they added more of stuff to try and make it bigger. And it because didn't... what do you do when you've made, like, basically the perfect sequel? Where do you take it then? You can't go, you can't necessarily go bigger because you're going to make an open world that's so big that nobody cares anymore. So the only thing you can do really is make a better story. I think that's the only way you can sort of take that's it. What, that's what, bringing this back before we go on to our next question, I've, uh, that's where I think things like cool characters come into it. Yeah. If you've got a cool character on the back box art, a cool character in your manual and your advertising, taking that character and putting them into a different situation is enough to carry your next sequel mm. that's how they managed to do things um like i think how uncharted works yeah because a lot of people tend to think uncharted 3 is i think the hardcore fans think uncharted 3 is probably the better one um but i i don't know that that's kind of what i get the jits of well, from if the you but from for me anyway i think the general consensus with uncharted is that the f- the first one's the worst one because which happens all the time in in games there's plenty of get series where the first one's the worst just for being the first one and then yeah. you've got the second one for me is the perfect blend of everything it's got the perfect amount of gameplay it's got the perfect amount of story it's it's got the perfect blend three is two again it's like more more of the same and then four kind of took the Last of Us approach of focusing a lot more on story and a lot less on set pieces. So my favourite is the second one, just because it has a nice mix. But I'd say that they kind of, but yeah, it's 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 hard it's hard discussion like where you take a game next when it come when it's you think you've made the perfect game. Stay tuned. 
something we'll cover on the podcast in the future, no doubt. Where do you take a game, game franchise? We should pick a load, right? We should pick a, pick a load of games and go, what would you do with this franchise next? And just see what we come up with. And they can pay us later. <laughs> they can pay us later. Okay, here's an interesting question for you, Bill. Okay. What have games inspired you to do? Well, um, uh, games have played such a big part in my life where you'd struggle when I was growing up to have a conversation with me without bringing in a game um, of any kind of mention. They were in everything. I, I drew, drew all the characters. I wrote stories about them and everything growing up. So they were, I was infatuated with them um, from a young age for ages and ages. But I think when I started to mature and I got to a certain age where I was like, okay, what am I going to do with this? These games, they inspire me. They, they uh, drive me. Uh, they've given me a certain set of skills that have helped me through my life, um, especially things like problem solving and, and all that kind of stuff. What can I do? Well, there's so many great stories and experiences that you have when you play games that I started to build my own world and wanting to build my own video game. Um, and I think a lot of people who are gamers growing up go through that phase of, yeah, I could do this. I want to do this for all my life. Um, fast forward 10, 15 years, I got to the point where I was like, I don't think making a game at this stage uh, is going to work. But I certainly do have the characters, the world, and everything else in my mind. Like if I had that, oh, you know, you, you have that budget and that team behind you, what you can make. Um, so I started, um, I started putting it down on paper and writing my own novel, um, inspired not just by video games, but also from, uh, you know, Saturday morning cartoons and anime, um, pro wrestling and comic books, all of that kind of stuff, and sort of put it all into one. Um, place and said, right, I'm going to just, just write a novel. But I'd, as the, much as those other things inspired me and motivated me to bring it all together, if it weren't for video games, I just don't think I would have the passion um, to sort of write a full novel, a series of novels that I have. Um, so yeah, it's called Raging Destiny. Um, and it's taken years to write. But if you did take the opportunity to to read it, um you would probably and um, we, we and you've enjoyed it you would have to thank my love of video games for about you know 60 70 percent of what was in there because that's what video games has made me do sort of sit down and sort of create my own world so what about you mike well uh i won't i won't go through the whole like my, my whole life story but i got into games a lot <laughs> like me you mean <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a jab, I swear. Um, oh, try to keep the gloves up, Mike. Jeez. <laughs> but um, I, I, I didn't play video games growing up. Off, and when I did play video games, as a very mainstream sort of, uh, uh, I don't want to say gamer because I hate that term, but I, I guess uh, it's what games have inspired me to do. I think the most passionate thing that the thing that makes me most passionate and one of the reasons why i wake up each day is because i make this content on youtube um a series of videos my main series for example is called nostalgia 
or I look at games I didn't grow up with to determine if they still hold up today. Um, and because I didn't grow up with games, uh, often my opinion is quite unbiased, I like to think. You know, other than my sort of general likes and dislikes of games over the years. But I always give a game a chance. And I think, like, one of the games that inspired me to start this whole channel, really, which you'd think it would be, like, one of my favourite games of all time, considering how much it inspired me, but it, it really isn't. And that's um, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Now, when I got Switch, I got Switch, first ever Nintendo console, got Switch, got Breath of the Wild, tried Breath of the Wild, I really enjoyed it, and I thought, you know what, let's see what else this, see what else this series has got to offer. So I looked up top Zelda games. Top Zelda game was always, no matter what happened, Ocarina of Time. Everyone was like, Ocarina of Time, best game ever made, oh my god, it's incredible. I thought, alright, this game must be worth playing. And then when it came to describing why this is one of the best games of all time, it started with a story of how someone was had a little twinkle in her eye and they got a Nintendo 64 at the bottom of the Christmas tree and they got a copy of, Nin of Ocarina of Time and how, oh my god, this is, this is my childhood game. And I thought, yeah, but take that childhood element out of it. Why is it a good game? And I don't feel like I got that response from people. So I thought in my... a lot of those people as well that have not actually finished the game. And it's like, yeah. if that was that game, if that was that good, how come you didn't finish it then? You know, but it's like, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I mean, it's, it's also like a game I don't feel like you'd find yourself replaying endlessly either. But like, no. I think Ocarina of, like, that game inspired me because it made me think, kind of want to dig for the truth of how good games are with that nostalgic element taken out and I felt like I was sort of in the perfect opportunity that I felt like I could talk about them in my videos and I I think but over than other than that I think it's also video games have also inspired me more to connect in my relationship and you know with someone who 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 grew up with the GameCube um we find ourselves playing stuff like Mario Party and Mario Kart, and we—I think that connection has definitely meant a lot to me. And we've been—I've been working with uh, yourself, Bill, and and other people that we sort of associated with on on ser on a series that we worked on. You know, where we all played kart racing games together, and that was such a—you know—that was such a fun experience. And I know if I wasn't playing games. I would completely miss out on those experiences, and I think that's that's a really cool thing. I think that's one thing that people don't talk about as much about video games. You can talk about gameplay mechanics, you can talk about music, you can talk about all this different stuff, but the most important thing about games is their ability to bring people together and their ability to, you know, create friendships, create, you know, jobs for people, create... <clears throat> worlds people get to envelop i think you know there's nothing more fun than sitting down on a sofa with a controller in each hand and just playing games together so i think i think on the whole games have been pretty inspirational for me yeah and i, I tend to agree i think um if i didn't have something like video games to give me that kind of inspiration to stand up in front of a crowd and talk about the games i like and why and sort of look at the game and landscape and just ignore I, I think another thing about it was that there's a, people have a lot of passion for video games sometimes to a fault 
where, like you say, um, not picking on those people that love Zelda. I love Zelda as much as everybody else. But you, you take a game from your childhood and you say, this game is the best ever game ever. And they will argue that point to a point of madness where it doesn't make any kind of sense because that's their childhood. And that's fine. But I think games, because I've played so many different types of games, they inspired me to sort of stand up again, start my own YouTube channel and, and work with people like yourself work with the OLL community, the One Life Left community, and sort of become a personality to sort of say, you don't have to be so standoffish. And just because you've played one game in a genre and you that's the only one you've played, um, that you think that's the best one, and if someone says, actually, that's rubbish compared to that, you don't need to be either one of those people. You don't need to be a person that will say, this is the only game I've ever played, so it's got to be the best. But you also don't need to be that guy who's played so many games and say you just don't know any better you there's you could you can you know i've been i've been inspired by the games to sort of stand up and go no, you, you don't need to do that you you can anybody can love games and there's there's nothing wrong with that it's it's perfectly fine to love what you love but at the same time um if it, if i didn't have the knowledge base and the different types of games i played i wouldn't have the confidence to be you know on this podcast standing and and uh stream on twitch for ol games and sort of say that you just you know be be a decent human being but respect other people's uh opinions on games at the same time um i don't think i can do that with any other subject you know yeah i can i can understand that i, I think it's you know there, there's something beautiful about games where there, there's we we all get like pent up and it's nice to be able to just sort of vent about things i think that's another thing like i've it's nice just to be able to talk about something that I'm, I'm passionate about. And I think it's very important that we can just talk about it and, you know, let off our, our experiences and our feelings and, you know, all these other things. Like, I think that's, I think that's really important. Well, it's like also like the characters you come across in, in video games. Um, you playing as a uh, Street Fighter was a big, big inspiration on on me. Uh, where, although <laughs> there's so much little bits of personality in a Street Fighter character, where you almost learn their fighting style with them when you play that game. And um, playing Street Fighter and playing characters like Ken from Street Fighter when I complete his game and he's talking about training and getting better and getting stronger and that kind of stuff, that made me want to go study martial arts myself. Um, and I probably wouldn't have ever done that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have looked into it because it was kind of like, oh, okay, I, me, me learning all of Ken's kicks and punches and learning all of his uh, court towards fireballs and super moves, um, seeing that come off and in his story talking about how he trained to get stronger and things like that, I, I wouldn't have never thought that was a thing until until I played those kind of games. And again, that inspired me after going and doing martial arts and doing that side of part of my life to then go, okay, games gave me this character that I can relate to and then and set me off on this good path. I want to create my own characters and share that with the world um, and also pass those stories down. That's why I wrote my own book. So it's a, it's a knock-on effect that just... It, it seems so strange looking at it and sort of labeling it and saying it out loud is kind of like, really? That's from video games? But yeah, that's the, I'm confident that is that is the fact. Because 
it's a domino effect, something that radiates with you so much when you're playing it, when you're growing up, that has a knock-on effect that makes you do something. And then you look at it and you go, why am I doing this? It's because of these experiences I had with video games. So, Do you think that playing sort of those experiences like Street Fighter was like, you know, do you think playing through like Street Fighter for the first time or trying to learn all those combos, do you think that was something that made you realise that it was a media that you really sort of fell in love with? Yeah, I think there was more to it than that. Um, when when Because when I first started playing things like Street Fighter, it was all very much kind of uh, everyone was just hammering the buttons. You know, the, yeah. the people do tech and they do it with all fighting games. They get the controller, they hammer all the buttons, and then someone wins at the end. Yeah, I still... When I'm looking at it, and after playing things like Mario where there's set game design on how you get from the end of the level to the beginning. Yeah. I was like, there must be more to this. And for the longest time, I thought when you throw a fireball in in, in Street Fighter, that was like random chance. Mm. It wasn't until I went into the arcade where someone said, no, 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 you do this, and showed me the motions. So I was like, whoa! And then I thought, oh, that must just be the arcade. I went home and tried it at home, and then I fired my first fireball in Street Fighter, and I was like, there's more to it than this! And then I started learning the mechanics and reading up about the it in the instruction manuals, bought the game myself, went into training mode, started studying what you have to do to, to play the game. And that, that level of depth made me go, okay, games aren't just something that you press a few buttons and you get it done. It's a, it's a, it's a learning experience. And I want to be able to not only learn it so I can beat everybody in my friends, which was the original, um drive for it but i also want to teach them so then yeah. we can have matches because if they know what they're doing and i know what they're doing we're gonna have more epic fights um and it's that kind of level of depth that sort of got me rooted into games i think it's i think it's moments like playing in the street fire you know street fire arcade cabinet and stuff like that is like something that really sort of sticks in your mind and it really sort of makes you realize that you just that games are just so incredible like i think about specific moments that relate to me um it's it's almost like like it sounds it's gonna sound it's gonna sound really stupid but like the first game i ever 100 percent like got 100 percent in was um lego star wars on the ps2 wow man you got all those blocks and everything yeah i got i got all the mini kit i had i had my mum sitting next to me on the pc like reading a walkthrough going oh you gotta go this bit and go oh thanks mum <laughs> like, honestly like that was that was the first game i ever 100 percented and like when i was messing around with all the cheats and i was i'd like hit a box and and because i had like times like whatever multiplier on like the numbers rack up and i think being able to it's like obviously people love games that I'm very different to how some people get play games. Some people would like to just play a game for like hundreds of hours, but I like I like the mindset of I have conquered everything about this game. This game is done. I'm the master of it. And I think I think moments like that really stick with me. And it's also like like I remember when I when I first played, you know, The Last of Us, the gameplay I didn't think was amazing, but like when I first went through that story it's kind of everyone's played it now so it's kind of lost its luster a little bit but when i first played through that story i literally sat back and just thought like wow this is 
this is in- incredible. Like this is one. Of- this was before I played like <clears throat> earlier, you know, games like your Metal Gear Solids and your Chrono Triggers. So at, at the time, I didn't think video game stories were particularly well written. Mm. So when I played, when I played The Last of Us, I sort of just sat back and thought, "Wow, video games really can have." deep well-written characters uh uh multi-layered and have their own sort of minds and their own sort of personalities i think that's one thing that really stuck with me i think when it comes to just like when i first played through metal gear solid 3 for the first time i was just taken aback by just how much these games have held up and i think that's the most rewarding thing about what I do and my channel and just my general mindset toward like retro games is every game that I play and I enjoy, people have been enjoying it for years and that sort of feeling of, wow, this really does hold up. This is not something that some, some you know, 30 40 year old man is like har har harboring like oh that, that was oh oh you play it back in the day play it back in the day no today this game is fantastic and you should definitely play it that's that's amazing because if you can make a timeless game that's really something special would you say there's anything yeah. sort of that stuck with you from yeah yeah but major- just to touch on that point that you just mentioned that was one of the biggest reasons I was attracted to your channel when I first came across it when you first dropped your first video uh way back in the day uh in the ol discord yeah and i was like yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go you know i'll check it out the way that it was so refreshing because i feel that sometimes i'm fighting to sort of say it's not just nostalgia these are good you know there's a reason they've stayed with me all this time yeah um there's a reason i love these soundtracks they, they love these characters and they, they haven't faded away so to hear someone who's had no previous experience about it and objectively, that's the key word here, objectively looking at it with no rose-tinted glasses and just going in and saying, look, what's the good, what's the bad? Let's just lay it on the table, put our cards on the table and sort of stripping back the reasons of why, uh, the, is this game still good today? And here's the reasons why I think it is. Yeah. You know, you, you get to the end of the video, you're saying that why it's good as you go, but then you, you, you finalise it by saying, this game is still good because... And it's almost like all those people that were defending that game who said, oh, yeah, it's good because I played it back in the day or I remember the Christmas morning, like you were saying. It was influential or because it was the first of its time. Yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. You're you're ignoring all of that and you're going straight into it and you're saying uh, this game is good, even if you play it now, because whereas there's certain games like uh, a certain infamous croc game i think you played like a little bit of yeah that was awful yeah that might have been one of the first platformers and that mm. might have been good back then but you're you're saying that doesn't matter now that's not in the argument that's that's what it is but anyway like you say going back onto what you were saying about um some, something that specifically made me realize I, I love the genre um it has to be uh with mario and um my me just getting grips as a four-year-old playing Super Mario Brothers 1 um, and not getting past the first or second level for ages and almost giving up because I was like, uh. But when my dad came down, when I came down from, from 
uh, in the morning one day. My dad said, oh, I've gone to this next level and there's these flying fish. And then after that, there's a fire breathing dragon in a, in a lava cave. And I'm my, my little four year old mind's like, what? You mean there's something to look at besides this, just the grass level and the, and the, the underground level? And it's that drive of seeing what a game has to offer next that made me realize that this is a media I will always love because I can watch a movie. I could play a game, you know, play a board game or, or get in, involved in sport. And there will be those moments. Don't get me wrong. But video games do it more often, more regular. And if a game is done well, I know that if I give it time, I will eventually see something new and different and i'll be rewarded for my skill and i think the ultimate moment of that is mario brothers 2 believe it or not because i was that obsessed with the first one i had to get the next one and it's mario brothers 2 i stuck with because as a kid i really didn't like that game because it was so different to the original mario brothers but right. we only got like one game a year so i chose it and i had to stick with it yeah but that last boss on mario brothers 2 took me completely out of left field where I came in to the last boss arena in Mario Brothers 2 and this music hit. And the music is so ominous and different and cool. And again, it was that moment of you've stuck with this game right to the end. And now we're going to give you a, a cool boss arena, cool boss fight. And it, my, my heart was like beating out of my chest. And I was like, I don't get this with anything else. No, There's nothing else that does this to me. Um, and it's the payoff of you won't see the end uh unless you get good enough but if you do it's going to be worth it well i think it's like um like more recent example i i played um uh, the game that was 2019's game of the year um sekiro, sekiro shadows die twice made by the uh, dark souls uh dark souls team that was <clears throat> was and still is one of the hardest games i have ever played I shouted, I screamed, I, I wanted to pull my hair out, but there was, that when I, when I beat, there was a, the final boss for sure, but there was definitely one particular boss, that when I beat it, for the first time in, in my entire life, as my, um, you know, as someone who plays games, I didn't, I, I, I literally, like, screamed like really loud it was almost like a like a primal roar like i was just like i beat that boss and i literally like i've got a bit of a short fuse so i was literally going play it for an hour turn it off next day go in play it for an hour turn it off next day going for an hour turn it off literally day in day in day out and i got in there and i got so good at that that boss fight that when i beat it i literally like erupted went, yes oh my god and i was just that sort of that i think that's what games do that you won't get from watching a film or a tv show or listening to music that sort of i have just overcome something yeah that like may not mean something to someone else but for me someone who's been trying to do this over and over again it's just really rewarding which is another reason why I just i don't understand like I wouldn't want to play a game on the easiest difficulty and just cruise through because that element, that element of challenge, that that nice in between point between I want to kill something and I want to and like 
you know that nice that nice little bit between really tough but like not bs levels of you just hitting your face against the wall like, yeah, I kind of, I, I, I'm kind of in the middle on that one. I think I've, I've played a lot. Of, there was a time in my life where I would play everything on the hardest skill of because I had to prove a point. Yeah. And then there was a time in my life where I, I felt I, I'm, I'm playing these hard games and they're taking my time away from being able to play all these other experiences. Yeah. Okay. So it was like I don't care. I'll just play it on the easiest skill level because I just want to, just want to get through as many games as I possibly can. Yeah. I think it, at the stage in my life I am right now. I don't like a game that's far too hard that's going to take up my time for no other reason just to have an achievement or something on the on on the list. I, I can see. I can understand that, yeah. Yeah, so I'll play a game up until a point where the fun stops. Yeah. You know? So if the fun, it's like that fear. If the fun stops, then stop. Yeah. So a game will last as, as, as long for me for when, you know, the, it, I'll, I'll play the story through, the one player. I'll then go for things like the unlocks if they're fun to unlock. You know, yeah. new characters, new new options, new chapters to play, secret endings, that kind of stuff. The multiplayer, in some cases, depending on if it's worth the time and it's doesn't it doesn't feel like a, a different game. You know, that's the one player kind of contributed towards me getting yeah. good at the multiplayer kind of thing. Yeah, and then uh, if I need to increase my skill, so I could play Donkey Kong Country over and over again because. When I first played that game, I felt it was really tough. But now I go back and I know so much about that game, I'm happy to run through it because it, it just feels fun to play. Yeah. Now, when you say things like it can't be too easy, I'm going back to what I was saying about Mario 2 uh, or even Mario 1. The game can be easy so long as what I'm seeing next is fun and different. Yeah. yeah? If, if I'm playing a easy game and nothing changes every level or i'm playing like an easy rpg where i'm seeing my stats go up and i'm still hitting the same enemies i did in level one absolutely i agree with you but if it's something like and i'm not saying necessarily it's easy but donkey kong tropical freeze that game i think is the perfect example of the more time you put into that game the more gaming experiences you get out of it the levels are all very inventive when things are coming out of the yeah. background, where they change the color set, when it's like just the shadows, yeah, uh, you know, where you're one moment it's all a forest or a jungle, and then some of the late levels you're just in fruit in the sky, you know, you're in factories, and you when when I'm playing through a level in Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze, and I see what what is this? I'm in some sort of factory, and then I see it's juicing fruit. And yeah. you're just going along the rails, and by the end of it, you see all these contraptions that are like boxing up stuff and sending them away. That for me was so powerful. Um, so I, I agree with you, but if a game is really easy and I get to see that kind of stuff, I, I could play easy games to the end of the uh, end of days. I think for me, it's what is the best difficulty for the best gaming experience and i think people say that's a very subjective thing and i can understand that but for me like take a game like doom eternal for example mm -hmm. if you play that game on the easiest difficulty which you know you can do that game is boring and also but more important thing than it being boring because i know that's subjective but this is a uh, bit factual 
that you will not get the most out of the mechanics if you play it on the easiest difficulty. And Doom Eternal is one of the... If, if you... Well, like when I first played it, I played it, I think, the second down from the hardest difficulty. So it was it was challenging, but I didn't feel like it was too much. And I, I really came to grips with the mechanics. And when I did, it genuinely became one of the... I honestly think it is one of the finest crafted first-person shooters I have ever played. Because when you put the time in and get used to those mechanics, it was the same with Sekiro. It really, You really understand how good it is and i think that's the most important thing it's not that every game has to be hard or every game has to be easy it's a simple thing of the game is as difficult as it needs to be for the mechanics to shine the most yes i think that's the most important yeah and i think there's some examples of like if if you're not with the understanding of what we what we potentially mean by that i'll throw in some examples i really like destiny when it first came out um i played through uh, i played that for several months but when i go back to like when when how much of a game do i play when i was seeing my friends spend hours on one mission to get one bit of armor on a dice roll just to make them play the same mission again but slightly easier because they've got better equipment and all they really do were looking at things to um cheese the mechanics so Destiny is a first-person shooter, obviously. When the AI is so unfair that if you're in a standard one-on-one fight with them and you're you're facing that person, and they will kill you 50 times quicker than you will be able to kill them. And the only real solid concrete way of achieving it is to hide behind a rock where the AI doesn't quite see you and doesn't move, and you're just shooting in one direction for ages and ages, watching that life bar goes down bit by bit, pip by pip for about an hour, just to potentially get a bit of armor that might make the game easier next time you come and play it, that is when I clock off. That's when I'm like, nope, that's not what I feel games was about. Um, the fun has stopped now for me, so I won't be getting that super armor. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay. Well, it's that. it's like Uncharted. If you play Uncharted on the hardest difficulty, which, it, which I've done, I've played through all of them, I've got the Platinums for all Uncharted games, right? Uncharted on the hardest well, difficulty. I feel like you were asking for right. a round of applause there. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm all right, just... yeah. yeah. <laughs> send, send, me, send me the bill, it's fine. Um, <laughs> Uncharted on the hardest difficulty is so unfun to play. It's so unfun to play because the game, when you're playing it through on like an easy difficulty or a normal difficulty, you're jumping, you're punching, you're swinging around, you're, you know, you're diving here, there and everywhere. And the gameplay is fun. It's, it's fun to play. But then you play it on the hardest difficulty and you're inching forward, like always stuck behind cover. Everyone's throwing like 50 grenades at you. And you just, at that point, it's less of, you like the skill. You have to obviously get more skill to beat it, but there was never. There's there's two kinds of. I've just beaten a difficult challenge. There's the yes, wow, I can't believe I've done it. Like I feel so gratified. And then there's the I've been chipped away so much that all you do is just let out a little sigh and just feel a little bit sad. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or you've you've spent uh twenty twenty minutes, maybe even an hour, sometimes going through a really difficult level um inching inch by inch because you know if you run in you the ai is going to kill you instantly 
and then you get right near the end and then suddenly the game just kills you through some sort of trap or you get a random grenade that blows you up yeah that and not not and you get sent all the way back to start all over again you know that's not that's not fun for me that that's that's more where the game's unfair on purpose and the only reason you're playing is to, for bragging rights. Well, the difficulty yeah. setting at that point becomes just number tweaking as opposed to catering the difficulty. Like Doom Eternal, for example, the director of Doom Eternal says that his favourite way to play the game is on the hardest difficulty because he's made the game mechanics fun enough that it can sort of... it can. It, it can stand on its own on that difficulty. Not that that's, you know, the yeah. best but way to play. When you look at something like Ninja Gaiden, um, even even like the the two D one, the the original Ninja Gaiden and Ninja Gaiden Black and stuff. I played those. I, I played Ninja Gaiden Black on the hardest skill level and hated every second of it. But I just at that time wanted to say I'm a real hardcore gamer and I completed Ninja Gaiden on the hardest skill level. You know, and and you know, well done me. But it, I didn't enjoy it, no. and I almost every time I say it, I you could you heard it in the tone of my voice. I sicken myself. <laughs> um, and if you let, if you that's the reason you play games, and I've I've got many friends that do that. Power to you. But for me, I felt Ninja Gaiden. I almost look at that game, and I get thrown back to that time when I tried to do it on the hardest skill level, and it almost puts me off playing the game. And that's what I mean. It, I, I will stop playing a game when it stops being fun. I don't enjoy playing a game to the point just to say I've done everything. And then I find that game has been ruined for me because I've played it in a way that has handicapped me so much that I didn't enjoy it. I find the same thing with achievements. Um, the crackdown, the original Crackdown was the first, was the last time I ever went for achievements in a game. Um, where I played that game so much just to get all the achievements for no other reason than just to get that thing pop. And uh, I, that game broke me because the achievements were not fun on that game. No. Um, and I was, I've said this before. If you've, if you've watched my YouTube channel, Pop Culture with Paul Screen, you know about this story. But, Mike, I don't know if you've heard this. No, I don't think I have. You've not heard this? Okay, I'll tell you then. So in, in Crackdown, there's an achievement for climbing the tallest building in the game, right? Right. One of those you'd never come across it in a normal game necessarily, but they chuck it on the achievement list to see if you've done this. Yeah. So I I think it took me about 20 minutes because they make it difficult to climb this tall, tallest bit. It's like a platform challenge. Yeah, of course. Got to the top, got saw the achievement pop, jumped down, right? Then I go, right, excellent. What's next on the list? The next achievement, and you could argue I should have checked, but I didn't. The next achievement is jump from the tallest building into water. And I looked to my left and there was that pool of water. So I was not climbing that building for another 20 minutes just to jump into water for no other reason but to have the achievement pop. And again, that's another reason where I'll be like, yeah, I, why continue to play this game and get this frustration when I had such a blast playing on a multiplayer with, with my friend and playing through this, the achievements are making it worse. Why would I do that to myself? I find the same thing with like speed running um as well i don't know if you've ever speed run a game before i haven't got that I, i'm too um i'm too stressed and i'm also too much of a perfectionist like i would i would never get past the first level of any game that i was i've, I've sped run a couple games for achievements but they were never like extreme it would be like beat resident evil 2 remake in less than three hours which is more than doable without 
you know, having to glitch through walls and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's, there are sometimes achievements can make games better, but I think they're few and far between for me. Yeah, I think um, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm a I'm an absolute masochist and I don't particularly enjoy the life that I live, but I do I do beat games often to completion and I have, you know, I have got the platinum trophy on a lot of games. Now, is it fun? No. Do I do it anyway? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, like I, I, I completely like never, ever a hundred percent a Final Fantasy game. Like Final Fantasy IX, right? There is one trophy to get a thousand in a jump rope. Okay. Right. Now. <laughs> <laughs> this was so difficult that I gave up, right? So right. you so one would assume I didn't get the trophy. I did get the trophy. I I took a lead, connected my PC to my PlayStation. <laughs> I then found a PC script, right? <laughs> that would take over my controller. And the get the jump rope played itself, and with I pressed one button on the controller, sat down, and I was perfectly jumping in sync, and that's You're how I did it. That's a lot of determination. <laughs> I would have just said, you know what, you could keep your trophy. I don't care. Or, or you've got the fact that there was a trophy to kill ten ten thousand enemies, which in a JRPG, might I add, ten thousand is an awful lot. So I yeah. literally had it just pressing the attack button over and over again, and my character was just... I lent something on my PlayStation controller, so I was running into a wall constantly, and I just the, left it overnight. <laughs> the, the thing about those games, though, is that when those those games were made before trophies were a thing. Yeah. It, I, would, I would argue, although I'm going to contradict myself in moments later, mm. that those games weren't meant to be played that way. No. So therefore, you're playing a game in a way that wasn't intended to be played, and you're almost sullying that game. You're making that game worse just for no other reason to get that achievement pop until you think of Final Fantasy X when you had to dodge 100 lightning bolts to get uh, what's her face's like ultimate weapon? Yeah, um, and then you realise maybe they were meant to be played that way. <laughs> I don't know. Final Fantasy X, I've never beaten because I was I went in with that mindset of I'm going to do everything. Oh, and no. I saw the trophy to 100% the sphere grid, right? Oh, and I was in it. I was dodging lightning bolts, and I just put the controller down and I said, you know what? This lifestyle needs to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a problem. You got there eventually. You got there eventually. But even now, like I'm chipping away at Tony Hawk Pro Skater One and Two, like like an absolute sadist. But yeah, yeah I think... you love that game. You, you I, I when do, you yeah. were playing those for your show, you got so excited. You said, "I can't believe these games are so good." And when you said you were going to go for the trophy, I was like, "Oh no, you can't!" Like because that will just you, you'll comp you any time you go back to. Tony Hawks. Now you'll be thinking about the time you go for the trophy, and you'll be you, you'll shudder, and you it will potentially put you off playing that game. And that's what I mean. If a game gets to a point where you dread playing it and it annoys you, then t just stop playing the game at that point. You don't have to go for hundred please. Yeah, I, I think like like I people seem to like the reboot of Prey, for example. 
Right, yeah. Well, let me tell you, 65 hours into uh, my, like, <laughs> sixth playthrough uh, wasn't particularly enjoyable. In fact, I, I don't... I detest that game now. Same with um, Control, which, I, to be honest, I didn't... I thought it was a bit overrated anyway. Especially the fact that I lost five hours of gameplay because of a, um, a NPC character that decided that he didn't want to show up. So, uh, oh, did you play it? What did you play it on? PlayStation Four. Yeah, I had a similar experience where, um, again, I thought Control was all right when it was playing to its strength, which is its storytelling and its gunplay and battle mechanics. Mm. As soon as you start trying to get 100% in a game like that, that's a perfect example of where doing extra stuff just for the sake of it makes that game experience a lot worse. So I, I literally just played through the story and I actually thought it was quite enjoyable, yeah. especially the part where it starts harking back to Alan Wake. That was worth it for me. Right. But I, I knew when I was looking at maxing out the character's abilities and getting all the paperwork and all of that was just too much. But I also got to that point towards the end where um, you've got to get to the highest point and there's all these obelisks everywhere right. and enemies weren't spawning and the frame rate dropped considerably and it was just a horrible buggy mess and it was just made it that that last level just crumpled under the xbox one apparently on the xbox X series s is s or x i always get that mixed up uh the new one yeah and the playstation 5 that's actually a lot better um but again i i almost stopped playing the game at that point because i was like i've had a good point up to now if i just want to see the ending which is the only reason i'm playing now i will stop and watch the ending on youtube because this game is broken and i won't suffer through it for no other reason just to say i completed it well i think like a good example for me is crash 2 the original ps1 version versus the remake right so crash bandicoot 2 I think is a fantastic little game to 100%. So breaking all the boxes, finding all the little secret exits, stuff like that. Fantastic. Yep. I, I, It's one of those games, same with Donkey Kong Country 2, where every time I play through it, it's a 100% run. Every time. Which isn't... So considering how many games I've 100%ed, that's not a lot of them that I do play like that. Mm -hmm. um, then the remake came along. They introduced time trials. Yes. Now, the time trials weren't built around the design because they were introduced in the third game. So then adding that wrinkle of time trials, along with running shoes that you unlock that make you run faster, completely, like, just does not gel with the game design. So now I find myself either playing the remake but not going for the time trials or just simply playing the original, which... For me, the physics are a little bit better, I think. Um, plus, I, I don't know, I kind of like that. It's weird to say, but I kind of have a soft spot for that retro PS1, like, polygonal look to it. I don't know why. I got I get the same effect with the uh, some of the Sega Saturn graphics and the N64 sometimes. Yeah. Like, like, over Christmas, I was... Um going and sort of playing through Rare Replay yeah. again. And I, I, there's something about the way Banjo-Kazooie looks and Perfect Dark yeah. and Jet, Jet Force Gemini. Those games hit some sort of nostalgic note on me and it's got, oh, yeah, that's, that's got a kind of 
retro look that I can get on with. You have to preface on a nice TV in good resolution, not <laughs> on a CRT. Yeah. On no, the original hardware. I don't get that bad. Uh, I, I do like blue flat screen stuff. Like uh, Diddy but... Kong Racing is unplayable oh, if, if you play it on the original <laughs> hardware. It's not ideal, not in the slightest. But um, likewise, though, go, just just touching on this before we move on, um, there's a game that gets a lot of flack for 100 because you have to get 100% to be able to finish the game, and that's Donkey Kong 64. Right. But unlike. Uh, a lot of games where you, for you to get 100%, you you tend like I, I I'll compare that they're completely different. I know this is a bad comparison, but it just sort of proves my point. And feel free to argue against it. But there's um 100% in an Assassin's Creed game mm. is in a laborious task. Yes, because all the game's asking you to do is basically sweep the entire map in all areas, high and low, collecting feathers or flags or doing certain things, killing enemies in a certain way, yeah. playing the game you know, to the extent where you've seen everything the game has to offer for no other reason but to have that achievement pop. Yeah. Whereas Donkey Kong Country, sorry, Donkey Kong 64, the game is asking you to 100% complete it. And that, I think, is the first game I ever 100% because there was no other option but to do it. Right. But the reward for that, although it is a collectathon and it gets a lot of flack for that, is that every challenge that you do with each Kong is its own slight, slight little mini game within its own world that either goes gets slightly harder or there's a slightly different challenge in a slightly different world. Yeah. Okay, you're collecting a hundred bananas. I, 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 you know, fair enough. You got to do that for each Kong, but. There's it, it's it's a different challenge each time, not the same thing constantly throughout. And then your reward for that is not just an achievement that comes up, but it's a boss fight. And yeah. DK64's last boss is fantastic, and it would made it all pay off. And going back to our original question about how often are we playing that game for, Donkey Kong 64 allowed me to play it 100% and rewarded me. When the reward is nothing but a little tick in a box... That was that's the ultimate parallel to me. Mm. Whereas it's, I won't do everything in an Assassin's Creed game, even though it's a lot easier because I feel it's not worth it. It's a waste of my time. But if I'm doing something like Donkey Kong 64, which is challenging me, my gameplay, my skill level, then I'll play it to it. Well, on the subject of uh, Donkey Kong, whilst we're whilst we're there, um, I 64, well, you mean, or any Donkey, Donkey Kong? Kong in general? Um, yeah, okay. Donkey Kong Country Two is one of my one of my favourite games to play through um to completion donkey kong country one is not because donkey yeah. kong country rewards you with lives for finding all the secrets but nothing else so unless you want lives which if you're good enough at the game you shouldn't need to farm extra lives or look for them anyway it's just kind of a bit of a weak thing to unlock i think that's at the core of like what makes me want 100 percent a game more is what you get out of it, the reward, and sometimes a journey along the way, because in Donkey Kong Country 2, you get these um, coins that you get. You've got DK coins, and you've got um, Creme coins. Now, Creme coins will will make you unlock these extra levels. These extra levels are the toughest, le toughest levels in the game. They're ridiculously tough. Even when you, be when you beat the game normally, you get told by Cranky Kong, that you're not as good at Mar as Mario or Yoshi or Link. <laughs> There's like a little pedestal thing where they're all standing there 
And he's like, Yoshi's the worst one because Yoshi, you know, Mario drops Yoshi off a cliff to get an extra jump, and yeah. you're not as, even as good as him, kind of attitude. He's like, you know? he's like you're not. He's, he's basically like you're not real. You're not a real hero. But if you want to yeah, be a real fine. hero, you want to get all the DK coins. Now, the regular levels and the secret levels all have a DK coin in. So if you get every single DK coin, you unlock a secret boss fight. Turns out the final boss wasn't defeated, and you defeat him one last time, and then you're put on the top of the pedestal, and Mario's in second where he belongs, and you d and and you beat the game. And and there's this uh, you know there's this beautiful sunset as the Kongs are sitting there, and King K. Rule is like is um like drowning, and the towers crumbling, and it's yeah. just it's just like that's experience and not just that but the secrets are so fun to find anyway but i think that's what makes me want to 100 percent a game when you feel like you're getting constantly rewarded throughout and not just the reward is one thing but if collecting them in the first place isn't fun that's like you can get the best weapon in the game in a jrpg but if you have to do the most tedious annoying frustrating thing to get it then you're probably just going to grind for another hour and just defeat yeah. the boss that way. Yeah. So I think totally the journey is important as well as the destination when it comes to sort of bonus content. Yeah. And, and like I said, a game doesn't have to be difficult. Um, Sparks to Rocket Knight Adventures on, on Super Nintendo is a good example of that, or even Sonic Sonic 2. Getting getting 100% um, in those games just is a matter of putting it on a harder skill level Sparkstar or getting all the Chaos Emeralds in Sonic. Yeah. Um, in Sparkstar, you get an extra last boss, um, an extra level that you wouldn't have got on any other skill level, so it's worth doing. Yeah. And that, 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 that last boss music, again, is stayed with me forever, and it's such a great little extra bit. Um, and becoming Supersonic, I think, is probably the earliest memory I have of going for something. Because no, there's no incentive, really, apart from obviously Robotnik juggling those Chaos Emeralds, for you to do it. Because the game doesn't change. You don't get any any extra levels or anything else but that. As soon as you go for it, get a, get all the Chaos Emeralds and turn into Supersonic, it's like, wow, I got rewarded for what I was doing. I just don't find things like achievements and a stronger weapon just to do the same level you've already done 10 times to get that stronger weapon just because now you can kill them in one hit. just doesn't work for me. Um, and I, I found that a bit with Resident Evil as well, actually. Trying like in Resident Evil Four, where in on the GameCube you got the was it the Wii or the GameCube? You get like a an arm cannon if right. you do it under a certain time limit or something. I can't remember what the re requirements is for that. Yeah. But you're playing the game again with a gun that kills everything in one shot, and as no, that yeah. doesn't really work for me. No, I understand. I don't. I'm not. I've never really been um, drawn to things like God modes or like. You know, yeah. just invincibility things. I think, like, Resident Evil, in terms of completion, is a game I'll play through. At least, re I've done it now because, you know, I just love getting platinum trophies. But, like, in terms of replaying it, I'll tip. I'll typically replay both campaigns. Like, say, Resident Evil 1 and 2, for example, where you've got uh, Chris and Jill or um, Leon and Claire. I'll play through both. If I do, I might just play through one, and then I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, because it's all tied to speed, I find that me rushing through the game almost, again, makes the game un unenjoyable. Mm. I like to take my time, check resources, go back to old rooms to get more ammo and 
all of that kind of stuff, find all the reports and taking the taking the story, the gameplay, and the atmosphere. Yeah. If I'm thinking, what's the quickest route through them? Again, that I, I can see the appeal to that, and I know there's loads of people that do. But for me, that's not the way I like to play games. I like to take my time and enjoy them and see everything the game has to offer rather than speed through it. Um, so that'll be another thing I'll clock out of, like, time trial. Probably the same as you with Crash. I probably wouldn't do a lot of time trials no. just to say I've got a, a tick in a box, you know. I mean, when it comes to Crash time trials, I definitely, uh, definitely had my experience with uh, Crash Team Racing. But Crash Team Racing is is uh you know as as hard as those time trials are it is a pretty fun multiplayer game i'd go as far as to say it's one of my favorite multiplayer experiences what would you say yours are bill nice segue there mike i like it i like it um i think my favorite multiplayer experiences the ones i've got the most enjoyment out of goes back to what we were saying earlier in in the podcast today which is one-on-one fighting games mm. Because, because I, I, I can't. I, I never know the guy's name, and I thank you so much for showing me how to do my first fireball in Street Fighter. But that set off a chain of events yeah. where I, I realized there's more to this game. I picked them up and played them, and then I was like, I playing the computer is not satisfying me anymore because the yeah. AI is either stupid, unfair, cheap, or whatever. So I need to train other people to get good at it, and. All of my closest friends I taught how to play Street Fighter, taught them some basic inputs and they found their favorite characters. And I started learning other characters so I could teach other people how to play it. But when people get up to your level after they've trained, they've bought the game themselves, you've given them enough to learn it. And then you literally have someone who's at the equal skill level of you and you're playing hours, you know, two, three, four hours long, just you, your favorite character versus theirs. And seeing how many wins you get either backwards and forwards. Yeah. That, that I have some of the fondest memories with me of my friends just passing the controller winner stays on style on all of these fighting games from Dead or Alive, Street Fire, Mortal Kombat, uh, Tekken, uh, Virtual Fighter, all, all of those kind of games, uh, Soul Calibur. And it, it just trumps because of the, the people I surround myself more than any, yeah. any, any other multiplayer game. So if I had to choose one, and I'm sure we'll talk about some others, but if I had to choose one, it would be fighting games for me. See, I I disagree, but for reasons that I feel like would be very understandable, because it's the same reason why I don't like the play the multiplayer in a game in a game series like Tony Hawk. It's because there are two scenarios: either you are so good at the game that when you get your brand new friend to play with you, they're terrible and there's just no. Yeah. Or it goes the other way, and the person that you're up against is so incredible because, like Tony Hawk, for example, the only people still playing those games are the people who are like at the top. So yeah. you're at that point where you're just getting so absolutely ruined that it's just not fun. So it's 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 hard to find someone who matches you on that level when it comes to those sort of games. Whereas I feel like. For me, I've always, I don't play games online really because I feel like, I don't know, there's like, I've never, I don't want to invest time in a game that's not going to exist anymore because of servers being taken down or because of, yeah. um, because of, you know, things like it just not getting updated enough or things like that. My favorite experiences for games of always, multiplayer games anyway, 
have always been those more intimate, um, uh, like either competitive experiences like your Mario parties or your Mario Karts, or even co-op experiences. Like one of my favourite shooters is um, uh, the Borderlands series. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. those are really fun, like story-based co-op games that you can play from start to finish with a friend, and and you can you'll pick different classes and you'll find ways to sort of work off of each other and you'll go oh I found you know you're using sniper rifles I found this sniper rifle that you can use and you'll give it to them and and there's that sort of dynamic thing or another example a uh, recent one you still got to play it um I've already mentioned it it takes two yes is probably my favorite game of 2021 because th the memories I had with my fiance were just so much fun it was so much fun to just play through the game you know the game is completely designed it's impossible to play on your own it's completely designed around having these co-op mechanics and there's a symbiosis between one player and the other for example one character's got a um in one level which all the levels are completely different one level one character's got a nail which is um, kind of like Thor's hammer in the sense you throw it and you can recall it. And right. the other person's got a hammer. So you can, say, throw the nail into a wall and the other person will, like, swing on it. Or you yep. could put, uh, put a nail into the floor and the other person will have to hammer it in. Or, you know, there's that kind of symbiosis between the two, both parties, and it kind of makes you feel like you're on equal footing. So I think yeah. when it comes to multiplayer games, it either has to be a PvP, you know, a um, you either have to be against someone who's on equal footing in a game like, um, in, you know, and maybe if you're both good at Smash Brothers, or have a random element like a Mario Party, or it needs to be a, a finely tuned sort of co-op experience that I can sort of take from beginning to end. The the I I. I've had it's, it's funny because I've had a completely different experience to to yourself. Where co-op games for me is something I've always wanted to enjoy, but there's very few that I've ever had had the pleasure of enjoying. The exception I find are things like uh, Streets of Rage, mm. where I find that game's a lot better with multiplayer. You know, new turtles beat 'em up games. But mm. I find playing things like um, Zelda. Four Swords or um, Halo, sometimes multiplayer, uh, Portal, all of those type of games, I either find the person I'm relying on is not getting it as quick as I am. Yeah. Or they're racing ahead when I want to take in the atmosphere. Yeah. Or they're reading some sort of thing on a wall or a, or something while I'm like, well, that, doesn't, that doesn't matter. It almost feels like uh, you have to find someone like you said with fighting games who's at the same kind of balance and wants to, the same experience out of the games you do yeah um if someone's in it for the story and i found the story quite boring and i, I on my own single player experience i would leave it behind yeah i would find myself sort of standing around waiting for them to get their enjoyment because i just don't care yeah um so i find cart games really difficult to enjoy a lot of the time Whereas with fighting games, like I said, I, I was quite lucky to get a group of friends that learn the basics of what I taught them. And then they went around, they got the game themselves and, and now they had like a, a starting point. Because fighting games are terrible at teaching anybody how to play them. 
That's oh, their biggest um, issue. Apart from, I they, think Smash is fairly accessible, but for the, in terms yeah, of Street Fighter and fair stuff, enough. yeah. Yeah, but Capcom fighters especially, they are terrible at teaching anybody how to play that game. I mean, yeah. it, unless you get anybody to tell you what that little diagram is where they've got like a Z symbol on, on the D-pad, which yeah. basically means slide your finger up and then down again, you would never know what they mean. And there's they never make a tutorial that's good enough to learn it. And regardless of people out there, I can hear people screaming. <laughs> like, well, there's some good examples. There's, there's ones with really good tutorials that take you step by step they're dull no one wants to sit there and learn every single combo and every single move in a list format you need someone to teach you how to do and play the game in a real life situation to get that ultimate satisfaction like when i first play a fighting game i don't go to training mode to learn the buttons and the combos i'll go straight into a match and then go what can i pull off on my own yeah so me and my friends get a fighting game we're like oh brilliant new fighting game we'll all sit together we'll we'll scour the roster find a character we like the look of and go straight into a fight and then someone will lose someone will win and go ah that wasn't the character for me or whatever but it's that learning experience of finding what characters you like who's good at what and then going away taking the game learning and when you meet up again where someone goes i've learned a new move or i've found a new technique or i've got a new character you immediately get that excitement again to sort of go, okay, is this going to change the outcome? Are, is, is someone else going to dominate this gaming session? Is somebody else going to be the winner and we have to try and knock them off? And if I'm on a win streak um, and I'm rotating through my four friends, yeah, uh, yeah I've only got four friends, Mike. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're, uh, they're rotating. They almost become a team to try and beat me. Yeah. And then, and, and again, there's nothing else in like fighting games or anything like that that has that kind of ex atmosphere where you're kind of, one minute you're a team go, we got to knock this guy off his pedestal. He's got too many wins. Um, and also sort of this sharing what you've learned from one another until you both get, or all of you get to a certain level where nobody's a clear winner anymore. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what I enjoy with, with fighting games. Yeah, I think... I think the biggest of there are two the two biggest important thing when it comes to multiplayer games is one the company you keep and two yeah the kind of the skill slash you know commitment because for me I think like like take a game like Borderlands for example you can have someone drop into your game and start playing it with you but that they're either over leveled or like under leveled or. Yeah. Or you don't you don't play well together. So I think I say these games are like my favorite experiences to play co-op. But that's the caveat is that I'm with someone that we're either we're a similar skill level and we sort of work well together and we can we go from start to finish. You know, we commit to the whole experience. That's why I still think you need to give you and your wife sit down and play. It takes two. I think you. Oh, we will. Yeah, we will definitely at some point. It, yeah it's definitely it's definitely definitely worth playing i think i think that multiplayer experience is definitely important it's uh that's why i don't play games online because i don't want to play a game with some random person i'd rather play it with with friends or you know well it gets to that point where you have that faceless mentality it's like i've i've killed you or you've killed me but i don't know who you are or is that a good thing or a bad thing yeah. did you get lucky or does it, it has no meaning behind it um, and things like, you know, I think it, it, it does depend on the certain games you play. Like, I know for a long time Resident Evil was pushing that kind of multiplayer co-op 
gameplay with things like Resident Evil 5. Yeah. And I don't, any time where you have to stand around waiting for someone else to read some text or something, it just doesn't work. So co-op games can work so long as the atmosphere is there or you're not taking it too seriously. But on the flip side of that, there are some other like games I I have fond memories playing multiplayer with, but I've never found with anyone else. Right. So I have a friend called Matthew that I haven't seen for a very long time. Yeah. You know, we grew up together. Um, and he he really likes sports. That's yeah. all he talked about. So you know, I like video games. He likes sports. There's a little bit of a disconnect there, you yeah. know, where he's going on about the football and I'm kind of like, yeah. And if he wants to play FIFA, I'm kind of like, that's not, I mean, it's a video game and I get the point, but it's not the kind of video games spe- which you should know from listening to the podcast from the beginning uh, that are my kind of thing. However, some of my, again, fondest memories of multiplayer is when we would sit down and I, I, I came up with this challenge. I said, you try and beat me at every single Mario sports game. And we would line them all up. I would have golf. I would have tennis, uh, Mario Kart, the Olympics games, yeah. um, all of those. And we would literally spend a Saturday where he would have his his sporting challenge was to sort of beat me. And he would have his specialist of you know games where he would do better than others. Yeah. And we'd play through them. Baseball, Mario Baseball. Um, and it was gimmicky enough for me to enjoy them and arcadey enough for me to enjoy them. Yeah. And he still had his sports thing and just playing through that was almost like it was almost like a little private Olympics. Yeah. Where we were literally just playing all these series of Mario sports games, which is so, I mean, they're, they're jank, but I love them for their, their jankiness. Yeah. And we would trade wins backwards and forwards and his team would beat mine. And I, I would play him Mario soccer or yeah. stri- strikers, you know, all of those. We literally play every Mario sports game I'd have on the shelf. Yeah. And at the end, we just rank up how many games we went off for one another. Um, I wish I could do that with more people because, like you say, I think you find there's like-minded connections and then you can have a blast with any kind of multiplayer. Well, like something we obviously we're both familiar with is when we did the uh, the series on the seven kart racing <laughs> games that we played, Kong. <laughs> played uh, you know, played through Mario Kart 64, Diddy Kong Racing, Crash Team Racing, um, Double Dash, Mario Kart Wii, um, Sonic sega all-stars racing transformed you know yes, i remember i think that's all of them um but we played we played through all these games and um i think like when we first started because that's the first time definitely the first time me and you have played games in the same room yeah but like it started like there's this some something beautiful about how like despite the fact that i didn't really know any of you very well we all kind that Mario Kart 64 and definitely Diddy Kong Racing had this old jank to it that kind of all that kind of brought us all together in a sense. Yeah. And we all, we all, in our hatred. it didn't take long before we were all like laughing hysterically. And we were, we had points where we were crying, which is all yeah. documented in video. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, like, it's just, it was so much fun. And that sort of challenge, like I've been, I've done challenges and stuff. Like I've played a certain console over a period of time, like I did VNES, for example. But that weird, obscure, ch- uh, like thing, like when we played seven kart races, and we sort yeah. of tallied up after it was all over who was the winner. You know, that kind of 
multiplayer experience was just so funny. And I felt like we, despite how we weren't having big conversations with each other or anything, I feel like we all had a better understanding of each other after than we did before. Just from playing through those, you know, those games are all varying in quality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also revisiting that, if you, like like I said, with me and Matthew playing all the Mario sports games, you start building uh, a reputation for it. So he was he was uh, like the Tiger Woods of Mario Golf. I just could yeah. never touch him. But I was the Federer of Mario Tennis, and he could never beat me. And you build yeah. up this kind of narrative where, you know, we put tennis on. He goes, this is it. This is your time, Bill. You're going down. I'm finally going to win the Wimbledon World Cup. And I'll be like, okay, let's bring it. Yeah. And then he's two sets in. He says, I can't bring this back. I can't. Yeah. And then, you know, then there's other things like, um, you know, uh, where we played Mario Olympics and it was more balanced. And yeah. it was kind of, who's going to trade wins the most? Because we, I always win tennis. He always wins golf. They're a given. And if we if we lose one, you know, there was times where I would be a stroke ahead of him on golf and he would start sweating. Yeah. He always used to bring it back. But on things like Olympics, you you know it's more even. So when you do tally them up, it's you kind of like can predict it like you yeah. would watching F1 or something like that. But there's always some little drama in the middle that would like throw that out. And I think that's where things like Mario Party is so good. Yeah. Because you can play for 25, 50 turns. But it always comes down to those last five turns that decide who's going to win. And we all know that. And we all know how unfair that game truly is. But we just can't stop playing this, like, pachinko-type machine where you drop your coin in, watch it roll down, and you just know the last couple of bounces are the only thing that matters. Nothing else does. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, I was, I was going to bring up Mario Party. Like, we've... When I play it with the when I've played it with the misses in the past, because she was she's heavily nostalgic for the GameCube Mario parties. Um, yeah. Obviously, with only two of us, we'd put like obviously have the computer players, and there becomes this camaraderie in our joint hatred of <laughs> yeah. one of the computer players. Like <laughs> we'll both have two stars each, but we'll both, as a team, almost. Decide that we're going to steal Wario's single star. Yeah, because you look at it and you go, "Look, I don't want you to win, and I know you don't want me to win, but we both don't want Wario to win. <laughs> so we'll leave it to the to to the to luck on who's going to win, and we'll shake hands afterwards. So long as Wario doesn't win, that's all yeah. that matters. Because if he wins, that's the worst. We'd like we'd like plug in the GameCube controller in player <laughs> three when they get to the star, and then we'd like we'd. Get them to select. No, I don't want the star. And then we don't plug it. <laughs> yeah, because they're just there to make up the numbers, though, aren't they? Yeah. Mario Party is its best when it's four players. Yeah. And again, we we had a good time uh, at the OLL Cafe in Norwich, where we all came together and played Mario Party. Uh, and there was eight of us, four playing one, four playing another. And it's such a, a, a such a enjoyable, fun laugh. As long as you don't take it seriously and you know get too competitive. But even then, you kind of play your own individual games, and then the winners were like, "How many stars and coins did you get?" See who the ultimate winner was. Um, it's it, Mario Party is such a, a fun game for everybody to get involved, and there is things you can do to swing it in your favor, but it's never a foregone conclusion. It's weird because like there's so many like competent Mario Kart clones, like your Crash Team Racing or your Diddy Kong Racing or your Sonic, you know, your Sonic Racing games. But Mario Party has that 
nothing like nothing is like Mario Party, or at least if it has been like Mario Party, it's never gotten to that same level of reverence or quality. Like you look at something like like people are clamoring for a Crash Bash remake, and I'm like, why? It wasn't good. <laughs> they tried it; it didn't yeah, work. Well, like, well, you know, the thing is, there was. It's it's the same team, I think. Uh, don't quote me on that. They kind of started them off and got better every time. Yeah. Whereas I think sometimes uh, Sony, uh, I mean, name not just Sony, but they they try an idea once to sort of copy or or cash something in. It doesn't work, and they leave it alone. Yeah. Like I think PlayStation All Stars would have worked if they gave it another shot. Oh yeah, uh, they definitely have. I mean, uh, Xbox have definitely definitely building their own roster at the minute. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Let's not, and <laughs> well, let's not, the same and, let's not try and show people where we record this. <laughs> but yeah, that's quite an announcement we had today. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, but like, yeah, about the Mario Party thing. I mean, Mario Party, I wouldn't say it's 100% consistent. It's had its pitfalls, especially yeah. uh, 9 and 10 were let's put a cutter in it and that ruined it. And then Super Mario Party, I think, in retrospect, I don't like very much, but it was sort of a course correction. Yes. And then I, I feel really, like... I didn't really like uh, 6 and 7 either, to be honest. Because um, I, I, I I, Mario's got enough characters in it already. You don't need to go start chucking suns and moon-faced characters and dice-headed toads and other stuff like that. It just gets a bit, you know, and and they're also terribly slow with the text and sort of mm. all of this. I think the one thing I really like about the new Mario Party that came out um, is how quick it is to play. Yeah. It just speeds through all the text. And I think that's important too. Um, getting for it, getting a multiplayer game that can just get you and all your four friends engaged really, really quickly um, and not having such a, a, a learning curve. My, one of my favorite multiplayer experiences that I still wish I could experience is Wave Race, Blue Storm. Yeah. Because it allows you to play four players in races and stunt mode. Right. But trying to get somebody... So you've got four people all gunning for a ramp. Yeah. And the one person who gets there first is going to be able to pull off the trick while everybody else just spills because there's not enough room for everybody. Right. That just sounds so fun. It does. But yeah. I would be lying to you if I've ever had that experience because trying to get four... Sorry, three other people to a skill level high enough to be able to pull off tricks. Yeah. is like what you said with Tony Hawk's, trying to get four people who are all at the same skill level at Tony Hawk's pulling off tricks and yeah. doing all the com... Especially with Wave Race, because you have to hold one button while rotating the stick, and then you let go of another button, and it's all timing, and it takes ages. But if you could do that, it would be really enjoyable. Um, and I think that goes on to my final one on this one, which is like, uh, I don't really enjoy uh, realistic or simulating type games no um and things like call of duty and battlefield shooters i i I, it's never really connected to me but however something like overwatch um which is got enough of a fighting game in it because you've got those hero based class characters where every every character's got strengths and weaknesses Mm. and special moves to jazz up the gameplay a bit more yeah and even if you're terrible at the game you can choose a character like a healer or a sniper or somebody that specializes in a certain thing and you can contribute to towards the win. Yeah. So you can, in, in something like Call of Duty, if you can't shoot a gun and shoot, get a headshot, you're going to struggle. Halo especially. 
However, in Overwatch, if you suck you at shooting people, at accuracy, at movement, at placement, you can still be a healer and contribute towards it. So I actually really enjoy Overwatch for that reason, um, because if I'm not on form with with uh, um, with with sh uh, shooting, you know, uh, type character, or I start to get bored of doing the same kind of chasing kills all the time, yeah. I can switch to a melee character. I can switch to a healer. And the game keeps playing. It gives me loads of options. And I like that about Overwatch a lot. I think that's a beauty of something like Smash Bros. Like, you think, unless you're up against someone who knows how to do all the really sort of uh, strict mechanics and stuff, there's this certain, like, joy of, of, of like, just picking that character that just you know is just going to irritate everyone. Like, I know if... <laughs> If I'm in a fight and I pick like King K Rule, for example, I just know everyone's going to be annoyed with me. But it's just so funny just to just to, see it happen. Just to cheese, you know, just to beat beat people on basically no skill level just by, you know, shaking my weight around. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And like you, you, you know, there's always that one player when you play like eight player Smash Brothers. Yeah. Someone's picked up Kirby, and you're you're battling. On the on the level, you've got you hitting people with your sword, and other people getting shot. Kirby floats over, just drops a brick on everybody, and gets like yeah. fifty caches in all your damage, and gets all the kills. He's like, yeah, we've got like <laughs> Snake, who's got a rocket launcher that you can control, like the movement <laughs> of it, and just yeah. knocking. And <laughs> they're running towards you, and you just keep hitting them with a rocket, and then it's like stop. Yeah. Tamish charges up her arm cannon yeah. state. All, all they're doing is firing missiles. Someone comes along, nope, they jump over, float over, stand on the other side, charge the Rissa, and then bang, shoots everybody and just homes them in. There's nothing, yeah. there's nothing funnier than those gaming moments where have people going like, stop, stop it, stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, like I said, it's, it's, it's all right when, when you can learn to get past it or you're not taking it seriously. Yeah. Um, which I find with things like Mario Party, when you when you know you can you see all those little numbers, someone's got fifty coins, yeah, and they've rolled a ten, and they're coming up to boo, and you're the only one with a star, and it's like you, they haven't even pressed the yes button to steal your star yet, but you just know they're all that's going to happen yeah. and change everything. There's something really funny about that that I just can't get enough of. Um, but if I if I'm waking up in Call of Duty spawning and someone knows where all the spawn points are, yeah. I start with Goldeneye. Goldeneye was the my, my friend played Goldeneye so much he knew every spawn point. So he'd kill me, and by the time the blood had dripped down my screen and I'd woken up again, yeah. he had covered the map on four different locations of where I was going to spawn. Yeah. And I'd wake up and bang, he got me again. And it was literally I was literally just being spawn killed over and over again. That's a little different than having a star stolen to you from from King Boo in Mario Bite. It was like when I played uh, Mario Kart 8, and like you, you and the other guys have been playing it for like every week for, for like a long time. So like when I was coming in, I was just consistently fourth, and I couldn't do anything about it. And that sort of <laughs> unlike unlike the other games where I was on sort of more of a le like a at least more of a level foot in that one kind of felt like the least enjoyable to me because i was just cruising at the back i was just falling off i just wasn't i wasn't taking anyone out i was in the i was right in the back so nothing interesting was happening i was just sort of casually driving and i think that sort of that difference between the high skill level and the low skill level it's kind of hard to balance 
That's why I like Smash Bros, because it, unless you're talking about someone who's absolutely incredible, there is that kind of balance, in a sense, where with any character you can kind of pull it back at least a little bit. Well, that's, that's why, like, um, when I play multiplayer Smash, I tend to have weapons on. Yeah. Because it, it brings everybody up and a level of randomness that anybody could potentially win. Yeah. You've still got that skill level, you know. We play stock rather than time to allow people to, you know, lose a few lives and it comes down to a one-on-one fight and yeah. what got you to that point. Although, more often than not, there'll always be some weapon that decides it rather than your skill level. Yeah. But... When you're playing one-on-one, I, I totally agree. I, I'd much rather play one-on-one Smash than I would all weapons on, uh, in a Smash Brothers game. But when you've got like eight people or four people and they're all different skill levels, I don't want to see that one person sit out every five yeah. minutes waiting for you to finish because you want your big moment to be to prove to everybody in the room you're the best at Smash. Yeah. Um, that it, it, A game, a multiplayer game needs to give everybody something to do with some regardless of your skill level and get everybody enjoy it not leave someone out because they they haven't put in more hours than you have and i think ultimately i think that's my you know the final point on that yeah one. well i mean you can you can win every mini game in mario party and still lose so yeah as yeah that's, that's, that's of, it of randomness that's right right uh Right, thank you for um, tuning in to the first episode of Pop Culture Pausecast. Um, we hope you enjoyed that. It was good to go down memory lane with you, Mike, and hopefully the audience knows a little bit, a little bit more about us now. Um, where can people find you, Mike, if they want to hear more of your gaming memories? Well, I have a... The best place to find me is my YouTube channel, which is called My Critiques. Uh, I'm not it's it's a little bit hard to spell but um you can probably find me my my main series called Nostalgia that's N O and then with a hyphen and nostalgia it's a show where I talk about games I didn't grow up with to determine if they still hold up today which uh luckily a lot of the ones I have played have held up other than that you can see me sort of popping in and out of the uh OLL community whether that's in the discord or on streams uh so that's pretty much where i'll primarily be i don't use twitter because that is a hell hole that i do not want to climb into <laughs> what about you bill the best place to find me is ragingdestiny.com uh if you go to the contact page on there you'll see my uh links to my my youtube channel pop culture pause screen uh links to my twitter and facebook and instagram uh, they're all on there. So that's ragingdestiny.com. Go to contact. That's the easiest way to find it. But yeah, if you if you want to check out some of my writing, Raging Destiny is my novel, my martial arts fantasy fiction. I'd really appreciate you um, having a look at that uh, and see what you think. But if you want more uh, online streaming content, YouTube content, it's Pop Culture Pause Screen. You can find me there. But make it, like I say, make it easy on yourself and go to ragingdestiny.com. Um, but both me and Mike, as Mike has said, will be on OLL Games, which is a gaming cafe in Norwich, a fantastic community that we've uh, been lucky enough to be a part of and sort of join in on. Uh, it's One Life Left, OLL for short. Um, that's where you'll find all of their online presence as OLL. And there's a conference in April um, where you can join in and uh they're bringing some of the bigger uk youtubers such as ashens and did you know gaming 
they're all coming together under one roof for a big uh, stadium field type arena where um, there'll be games, there'll be uh, competitions, there'll be uh, challenges, uh, games to play, all kinds of formats, retro and new, um, for you to be a part of. So that's uh, OLL Games, uh, OLL 22, the convention. Um, you can find that as well. I'm sure we'll, um, you know, you, you'll find those on our air locations and things. Do we have a description? You might have to cut this bit out. Yeah. Is there a description on Spotify? Yes, there is a description. I'll let you do that bit then. Do you want to say you can find it in the description? Yeah, um, I'll keep all links in the description of the podcast. Uh, so if you want to find any more details, all the links will be there. So yeah. anything that's void type in a Mike? Yeah, well, yeah. more work. So, we're, we're good to you people. We're good to you people. But again, thank you for listening. Um, we'll be back again next week. Um, same podcast place, same podcast channel. <laughs> I need to work on that. <laughs> Why are we signing these things off? <laughs> We're not doing it like a radio announcer, are we? <laughs> next time you can you can catch a bad pop culture podcast on the next episode. Tune in. Now we're going to talk about our sponsor, Butter. <laughs> is Mike going to get out of this situation or is he going to hit by the train? You've got to join in next week to find out. <laughs> but no, thank you very much for listening to the first ever Pop Culture Pausecast. We'll be back next week uh, with more gaming subjects where we're going to detail. Um, and we hope to see you there. We hope. <laughs> what? God, I don't know how to do this podcast stuff. They're not going to see him, am I? We hope you listen to our dulcet tones. If <laughs> Do you not, subscribe on on Spotify. Uh, you can follow, watch new, ep- listen to new episodes. We hope you'll check out the new episode. No, listen to our episodes, and if you don't want to, just put it on mute. <laughs> <laughs> but leave it running anyway. Leave just it do running. It. You got this far, so you'll be back next week, I'm sure. Right, see you next time. See you next time. <laughs>